I'd like to read today from the Gospel of John, but I'm, I'm going to change the Scripture from what you find in your bulletins. And instead of the 16th chapter, I'd like to go back a couple to the 14th chapter. And I'm going to go to the 14th chapter of John and the 25th verse, and you may follow along in your Bibles, you may follow along on the screen, but I would like you to hear these words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, this day. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace. I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you if you loved me. And you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Father, we ask the presence of your Holy Spirit. May we lose ourselves in you this day. May our hearts beat with your heart. May our minds in some small way know your mind. And may our wills be conformed and transformed into the will that you have for each of us. Hear our words, Father. Know our thoughts. Feel our love. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we ask these things. Amen. This is Sunday, Veterans Day, and we recognize our veterans, those men and women who have served in our armed forces and who have given their lives and their talents in defense of our way of life. It requires a tremendous sacrifice, sometimes a sacrifice not fully appreciated by those who enjoy the fruits, but don't have to worry about the labor. Sometimes the sacrifice is ultimate in nature, where those who defend this country have to give their very lives. And yet I also want to tell you today that these same men and women who have dedicated their lives to the defense of this country and the freedoms that we so richly enjoy, also dearly embrace peace, perhaps more so than you could ever possibly imagine. There is probably not another group on the entire planet that wants peace more than those who fight to defend this country, those who have dedicated their lives at the front lines of warfare, and of terror. Until you have witnessed the horror and the devastation that is war, until you have experienced the cost of human life that is extracted, you don't have a full appreciation for the understanding of the word peace. And I can stand before you today and tell you beyond a shadow of any doubt, I know. I know, and so do those veterans in our congregation. My question to you this morning is, do you believe in peace? And I think almost every one of us would say, yes, I believe in peace. I want peace. 
I believe that real peace in this world will, in fact, be a wonderful blessing. But then if I ask you, do you believe that peace is possible, you would probably have your doubts, and we could certainly be excused for having our doubts. Someone has done a study and calculated that between 1500 B.C. and 2000 A.D., the span of some 3,500 years, there had been more than 8,000 treaties signed. 8,000 treaties designed to end conflict, and yet on average, they lasted no more than about two years. Such is the record and we could be excused for having doubts. If you look at the developments of our weapons technology and the things that we're constantly involved with, every new weapon since the dawn of time was supposed to present the terrible affliction of war. War should in of itself become unthinkable and obsolete, and yet we should be excused because of our doubts. You might want to consider that in every country around this globe, there are powerful interests preserving the status quo, whatever the status quo actually is. In our country, for example, there are thousands of bureaucrats, military and civilian, who would lose their job if suddenly there was peace in this country and around the globe. Do you realize that we have weapons companies or component companies practically in every congressional district in the United States? When you consider all the powerful interests around the world that are wedded to the concept of war, you might be excused for having doubts about the possibility of peace. And those doubts might even be further deepened if I'm telling you that this is not about a treaty or some type of armistice, I'm talking about a real, genuine peace. I'm talking about what Dr. Martin Luther King used to say, that real peace is not the absence of hostilities or tension. Real peace is the presence of justice. Justice. Real peace is the removal of all those underlying conditions of injustice and exploitation which fan the flames of resentment and greed around the world, and that's why we have so much war. Think about the passage that I read to you today, this passage out of John. We have Jesus speaking to his disciples Jesus knew that within about 12 hours, he was going to be taken as a criminal. He was going to be hung on a cross. He was going to die. Within 12 hours, he was going to be placed in a tomb. How would you feel? What would you do if you met your best friends for their last meal, knowing that this was going to happen to you? Jesus' disciples knew that there was something serious Something serious was going on because their hearts pounded with a certain degree of anguish about the unknown. There was tension in the room. The disciples knew that something was going to happen. They just didn't know what. And here's Jesus standing amongst them in perfect serenity saying, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. 
Those weren't just words. That wasn't some type of Pollyanna phrase that Jesus came up with just to make the disciples feel better. It wasn't something superficial that he thought, like, I'll make you feel good. It came from his heart. It came from his mind because he realized what his disciples would have to go through, the disappointments in life that they would have to face. The words came from his father, the father that he was from, the father that he was returning to. Because God knows the meaning of life, he knows the heart of his children, and he knows what conflict we will face and continue to face. He promised the disciples that if the worst came, if the torrents of the world came upon you, you still might have the peace knowing that God will be with you. Throughout it all, God will be with you. You know, we sometimes forget that there are actually two kinds of peace, or at least I'll capsulize them in two kinds of peace. There's a worldly peace, a peace that we crave, that we want. You know, we're on the, on the cusp of Thanksgiving. You know, there's a certain peacefulness in sitting in front of the fire, your belly full of Thanksgiving meal, and being at peace until the tryptophan works. Then you go to sleep. But all the tensions of the day, all the trials and the tribulations leave you. But it's, it's more like a tranquilizer drug because when you wake up, all those trials and tribulations are still there. It's a kind of mental blackout that gives you momentary peace fleeting in nature. And worldly peace is different for different people at different times. You know, for the lazy person, it's probably peace that means freedom to loaf. And for the active person, it means freedom to do exactly what I want when I want to do it. And for the person who thinks that you control their lives, it's like, just leave me alone. Give me some peace. Or it's like the pastor who comes back from vacation, and he said, oh, that was a wonderful, peaceful rest because the telephone didn't ring and the congregation didn't ask anything. That's a peace. But it's fleeting in nature. It doesn't last. That worldly kind of peace is where our troubles and pressures are temporarily put on hold, but they still come back. And that worldly kind of peace is dependent on us. It's dependent on what we think and what we do. And we have proven again and again that we are not exactly very dependable. When peace depends upon us, it doesn't last. But Jesus is talking about a heavenly peace, a divine peace, a peace that really depends on him. That's where the focus is. It's a permanent peace. And the amazing thing about the text this morning says we have that peace now. He gives it to the disciples, but he also gives it to us. We have that peace. He's already taken away the walls of hostility if we will but focus on him and not ourselves. And the scripture upholds that. We hear about peace all the time in the Scripture. We know about to celebrate Thanksgiving. What comes after Thanksgiving? It's a test. What comes after Thanksgiving? And if any of you say Black Friday, I'm coming out after you. <laughs> What's the next major holiday after Thanksgiving? Thank you. <laughs> Scared me for a minute. Jesus Christ born in Bethlehem, and what do the angels call him? the Prince of Peace. You read about peace throughout the gospel and the parables. He is our peace. 
He is giving to us that which we can never give to ourselves. Nations have tried for thousands of years to win peace by force or by violence or by intimidation or by compromise. And have they been successful? No. No. Peace continues to elude us. And for some reason, we have simply never had the courage or the faith to try another way, the way of Jesus Christ. The true peace, the one who has been called the way, the truth, the life. If all the nations had the peace of Christ in their hearts, I know this is pie in the sky. If all the nations had the peace of Jesus Christ in their hearts, they would be less concerned about might and more concerned about right. They would be less concerned about missiles and more concerned about mercy. They would be less concerned about their advantage and more concerned about the disadvantaged in the world. Nations could overcome enemies by simply making an enemy a friend, and I realize that's pie in the sky. But if they literally had Jesus Christ in their hearts, that indeed is possible. Now, I know preachers, we talk that way. You're out there going, where in the world is he coming from? How naive, how simple-minded to talk like that in front of all of us when he and we, we know full well. Well, I thought you might want to hear from somebody else, somebody who I greatly admire, somebody who indeed is a great or was a great military man. General Omar Bradley, five-star general of the armies. At the end of World War II, during an armistice day, he was asked to speak to peace, and I want you to hear these words of Omar Bradley. With the monstrous weapons man already has, humanity is in danger of being trapped in this world by its moral adolescence. Our knowledge of science has clearly outstripped our capacity to control it. We have too many men of science and too few men of God. We have grasped the mystery of the Adam and rejected the Sermon on the Mount. Man is stumbling blindly through a spiritual darkness while toying with the precarious secrets of life and death. The world has achieved brilliance without wisdom, power, without conscience. Ours is a world of nuclear giants and ethical infants. I love that phrase. Our world is a world of nuclear giants and ethical infants. We know more about war than we know about peace. And we know more about killing than we do about living. The heavenly peace of which I speak finds its definition in the Hebrew word shalom. You've heard that word before. Shalom is more than just simply a physical peace. It is a oneness, a a peace of body and mind and spirit, a wholeness at every level. It is a peace that fills us from the inside out because we have Jesus Christ in our hearts, and that's where it starts. That's where the roots are. That's what it blossoms forth from. Peace born of faith in Him and trust in Him. 
Faith fills us with a peace that makes us willing to do without, to concentrate not on ourselves but on others. It is a wholeness of heart and mind and soul and spirit, and I know every last one of us long for it. And yet we are taken right back up by the chaos, by the anxiety, and by the worries of this world. This is the kind of peace, this heavenly peace, that will fill you up on the inside. It's the kind of peace where you finally say, let God do what he needs to do. I surrender to him. John Wesley wrote a wonderful covenant prayer. I wonder if you would turn in your hymnals to 607. 607 in your hymnals. And I would like to say this together. As Centenary United Methodist Church this Veterans Day Sunday, let us remember these words that John Wesley wrote. 607. A covenant prayer in the Wesleyan tradition. Would you say it along with me? I am no longer my own but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee or brought low by thee. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. For thou, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine, and I am thine. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. Amen. That's a true peace. That's a surrendering to the Lord and knowing the peace that only He can bring. Let me start to close with a story. A man had lost his fortune. He had absolutely nothing. He had spent all of his life trying to climb the ladder of success, trying to get a little more money, trying to get a little more power. And in the process, he had lost his family, and then he lost all of his money. To the point that in his consideration, life wasn't even worth the living anymore. So he decided he would commit suicide. He decided that he would go to the beach one morning and that he would swim out into the ocean as far as he physically could until he was totally and completely exhausted, where he couldn't turn around and make it back to the shore, and thereby he would drown. And as he entered into the water, Looking down as the waves rolled over, he spotted something that glistened, glimmered ever so fleetingly. And he looked at it, and it mesmerized him. It was a little shell, a perfectly formed little shell. And he was amazed with the tons of water upon it it, and and the wind blowing back and forth and the, the waves crashing it up on the shore, how this little shell had been able to survive in its perfect form. And he picked it up, and it was so delicate that if he had pressed his thumb down on it, it would have broken, much like a sand dollar. And then he got it, this little shell. This little shell had surrendered itself to the water. 
It had surrendered itself to the pounding waves upon the shore. It had surrendered itself to the depths of the water from which it had come. It surrendered itself to the wind and the sand and the waves, and thereby it had known peace. It was at peace. And it suddenly came upon himself that that's exactly what he had not been doing. He had been disobeying God. He had been doing things his way. He had been searching the way to climb the corporate ladder, to make more money, to gather more fame, and he had lost everything. And he realized in that moment it was all because he had never surrendered. So there in the surf he kneeled, gave his life over to God, and when he rose, he was a different man with a different life and an inner peace that only Jesus Christ can give us. That is the essence of what we speak of this day when I say peace. This is the essence of who we are. The peace of this man that he had discovered in a little shell is what each and every one of us want to discover. Perhaps you're at war today. Perhaps you have worries and anxieties that just build up inside of you. Perhaps you're afraid of the next phone call you're going to get. Perhaps your worries have built up to the point where you've made yourself physically sick. And we try all sorts of stuff for peace, don't we? The couch of the psychiatrist, the pills, our lustful emotional adventures. We'll try anything to find peace except the thing that really works, which is Jesus Christ. Deep down inside, every one of us know that we will never achieve that wonderful divine peace unless we place ourselves into God's hands and live in accordance to His will and His way. So, the question today is, do you believe in peace? Do you believe in peace? If we would honor our veterans who have served and sacrificed for the freedoms we enjoy, who sometimes have made the ultimate sacrifice, then yes, we believe in peace. If we honor the future of our children and our children's children, because they depend on us to give them a world worth living in, then yes, we believe in peace because we would never rob our children or our grandchildren of this beautiful world and the inheritance that is theirs. And if we would love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, if we would love Him like we say we love Him, if we would be faithful to His laws and trust in Him, then yes, we believe in peace. We believe in peace not simply as a possibility, but something that is very, very real. Because peace has walked among us. Peace died on a cross for our sins. And when we least expect it, when we least expect it, in the midst of the chaos and the anxiety of this world, peace will come again. Would you bow your heads with me, please?